We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna from the pocket, takes it down, field check, Ridley's running free, he's got a touchdown, tied. Hurts over the middle, caught, Ridley, goodbye, cash money, touchdown. All I want to see are results. Everybody, another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Chris Fowler and Mark Jones from ESPN. And that was also um, Boss Hog from Dukes of Hazards <laughs> and the Dixie Horn <laughs> and a car chase. <laughs> That's the beauty of this. Drew did not hear the intro. Unfortunately, we add that in because we're, we're fucking real, real deal production over here. I had to add in some uh, Dukes of Hazards in that intro. Well, thank you, Chris. And roll damn tide for Kelvin Ridley, folks. Oh, we are here. We're t- I mean, draft talk. Things are happening over at One Bill's Drive. No, 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 no. People want to know about my shoulder. Look, I had my MRI on Friday, and apparently I did not break my clavicle. I have a shoulder separation, the AC joint, and I elevated my clavicle in the process. And I have grade three tears to a couple of tendons. So thank you for all of the uh, 12 packs everybody is, I'm assuming it's going to send me, for get well gifts. Chris, if I had control of the soundboard, I would put crickets there. Because no one cares how you hurt yourself playing roller hockey against children. I don't play against children, dick. Now, 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 Chris over here thinks that he has good news. But I, in fact, have good news for everyone. I'd like to say farewell to Ed Hockley. Folks, after 28 years, longtime NFL referee and perennial pain in my ass, Ed Hockley, has finally decided to call it a career. By some, he will be remembered fondly for his years of service. But none of those people have a microphone in this studio right now. 
It's a kitchen. For it's me, a kitchen. he will be remembered as an over-officiating ass of the highest order. And a man who loved nothing more than the sound of his own voice. Just two years ago, I spent hours crunching numbers and successfully proved that if good old Ed's crew had refereed every game that season, each team would have had more than 100 extra yards and penalties over the course of the year. People will speak glowingly about Ed Hockley, regardless of what, what just an overjudicious prick he was. Well, I would make I would make a bunch of those calls too, because then you get the camera time, you get the flex time, show <laughs> off them biceps. I mean, you can all speak glowingly of this guy. You can. I will stand here and staunchly point to the fact that there was a time when he was downgraded, Chris, for blowing a call that ruined a game. Which, trust me. I know he is not the only referee or the last referee to ever do that. But he's the most consistent? (laughs) He has made some shit calls. And also, what about the time that he spent more than three full minutes over the course of the uh, 2015 Panthers and Cardinals? That's the game, Chris. The 2015 Panthers and Cardinals game, where he somehow found a way to get himself three full minutes of time on TV talking about penalties or calling penalties, or explaining them. Neil, I don't need to see any NFL official for three to five minutes of a a GD football game here. I don't. It makes my blood boil. And no, I don't care, Chris, how jacked he is. Okay? If we're talking apples to apples, Mike Carey had twice the physique that Ed Hockley did. So what if the guy had biceps? So do I, and I know everything there is to know about the rules of football, and I love listening to myself talk. Does that make me great, too? <laughs> so, Ed Hockley, I leave you with this. It's been real, and it's been good, but it hasn't been real good. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails to you. <laughs> Get fucked, Hockley. <laughs> All right, Chris. They've had enough of our uh, our bloviating here. Why don't we get things started as we always do every week with the Buffalo Bills news update? One of the big news items of the week. Jim Kelly announced that his cancer has returned. Yeah, now... It's, it's, it's a reality that anybody who's ever had cancer faces. Now, when your cancer goes into remission, it's obviously something worth celebrating. I have people in my own family who have experienced it. I know people in my life who've been lucky enough to not have it, you know, a, a reoccurrence or to have their cancer just stay in remission for years and years on end. Jim Kelly, unfortunately, he's got some pain symptoms and they've announced that the cancer has returned. This is a statement from Jim Kelly. As our family has faced many trials and triumphs throughout the years, you have blessed us with your prayers. I'm assuming he's speaking to fans. We are asking for those prayers once again. The oral cancer we hoped would be gone forever has returned. Although I was shocked and deeply saddened to receive this news, I know that God is with me. I continuously talk about the four S, faith, family, friends, and fans. With all of you by my side, we will fight and win this battle together. 
Staying Kelly tough, tough and trusting God will carry us through the difficult times ahead. Now, since then, he's gone on to do other public events. He's, he's not stopping his entire world just to cater to this, which I think is you know, good for Jim. You know, He went to the Lombardi dinner this year, and he gave a speech. And this was, I, I read the whole thing, I read the transcript, transcript, and this was my favorite part of it. From the, you know, he put this right in the middle of his, in the middle of his speech towards the end. Hey, my surgery isn't until the end of the month. If the good Lord decides tomorrow's my day, hey, I'm going out with a fish in one hand and a cup of beer in the other. Who drinks <laughs> a cup of beer? And that was him talking about how he was going to spend his time with his family as much as possible because, you never know what tomorrow's going to bring you. I mean, that's the kind of mentality that I feel like you have to approach these things with. I mean, I, I, I know a kid, okay, who grew up with my, very close to my family. You know, I, I, I don't want to give his name out just because I haven't talked to him about it beforehand. So I don't know if he's comfortable with it. You know, we'll call the kid Joe. How about Mario? <laughs> we'll call the kid Joe. Joe was diagnosed with a brain tumor that people said was inoperable. And they said they had this one form of therapy that, you know, this form of tumor he had, had a 93% mortality rate. But they had a surgery that they would try, but it may not work. Now, he was 20 when that happened. I think he was in his late teens, early 20s when that set in. To this day, Joe is still kicking, okay, because he had, he believed that he could beat it, and he had the strength of the people around him. So, guys, take a minute, you know, just, if you have anybody in your own family who's suffering from this, I say the same thing. Rally around these people because they need, you know, they, they need you. And they need us. And right now, Jim needs us. So, uh, you know, your support, your, you know, whatever you can give, whatever you, you know, tweets, cards, whatever you, whatever it is, even just thoughts, maybe, maybe the prayer or two, if that's the d- direction you decide to go, just know that. Us here at the Rockpile Report, we wish Jim a speedy recovery and wish the best to his family. Now, as far as the team goes, we've got news. As usual, the Buffalo Bills wait until Tuesday to announce news and force me to drastically alter the rundown of my show. But I'm willing to deal with it in this instance. I am. I'll do it with a smile on my face. Last week, we discussed why the Bills hosting Chris Ivory made sense and how a signing would be good for the team given that he's got a history of production as a running back, as well as a, as a special teams contributor, and that this team is going to need that, given that Mike Tolbert, much to the disappointment of, I'm sure, millions of Bills fans everywhere, won't likely won't be back with the team next season. Good. Get out of here. We don't need you. I I don't know if you saw, you saw what I tweeted out earlier today. Uh, I retweeted the Bills uh, tweet of signing... Ivory, and I put it, we signed Monte Davis, which was a need, and we signed Ivory, which was a need, so we don't have to address those early in the draft. You can take those picks and trade up. I can't wait. Well, and, and I guess I guess that's where we'll start talking about this. This further cements this idea in my head, even though I'm not a fan of it. The Buffalo Bills are very likely going to trade up in this year's draft. I don't know how you can not be a fan of this. I mean, if you think about it, last season we went into free agency. And we didn't make any splashy moves. I mean, we signed a group of Tier 2 and Tier 3 free agents that went on to fill out needs at safety, fullback, uh, backup running back, and uh, like a third wide receiver. 
But that gave Whaley the latitude to go into the draft and make trades, move around the draft board, or he could have stayed pat and taken best player available. That's the t- You want that flexibility as a GM. You crave it come draft day. So when you look at what the signing of Ivory brings to the table, I mean, you're filling a need. So that's something where, hey, we don't absolutely have to. We're not being pigeonholed into drafting a running back early just because there's a need for one. Because we have a serviceable running back, too, at this point. I also love the cost. You just signed a complimentary back who's useful in short yardage, as well as a receiver, on a two-year deal for just $2.25 million a year. He doesn't cost... That's it, Chris. And then on top of that, it's huge when you think that it doesn't factor into the compensatory draft pick calculation. Because technically he was cut and was not an undrafted free agent. He was out there on the market prior to free agency. Now, I can point to this. For far too long, the Bills have failed to get anything in the way of compensatory draft picks, which for a team that perennially misses the playoffs tells the story of a team that is constantly forced to being active in the free agent market, yet isn't accomplishing a whole lot in the draft, which leads to more holes in subsequent season that have to be filled through free agency. I mean, Chris, how do you go as long as the Bills have without being good and really never gotten solid compensatory draft picks in return? Meanwhile, you watch teams like the Ravens, like the Patriots, like the Steel, winning franchises milk this system. I mean, yeah. how does that how does that work? Yeah, I'm. You draft poorly, and then you you so you have to go out and buy in free agency. Which means whoever you're losing as a val- as a valuable free agent, you don't see any benefit of that. I mean, we saw that this last season where everyone was talking about, oh, cut these players and cut this player, and we could get a third-round draft pick. We shouldn't be having that conversation if we've been a losing team for the last decade and a half. I mean, it's, that's, just the, that's just fact, at least in my mind. Maybe I'm crazy, Chris. Yeah, well, usually when you, hit free, when you go to free agency, especially if you're going to get a... If you're going to go after somebody top tier like Mario Williams, you know, you overpay. Mm-hmm. You all, I mean, that goes across the board. You always overpay on for, for free agency. And it's going to happen again this year. Well, and no, but, but here's the thing. Here's something that I've noticed. And, I, and I, more and more you're hearing from free agents, guys who are unrestricted free agents. You're Jordan Matthews. You know, today uh, Jordan Matthews went on NFL, what was it, Sirius Radio, NFL Sirius Show. And essentially stated that as a free agent, you know, he just had a, he just got married, he just had a kid, he's going to hit the open market and see, you know, it's the first time in his career he's ever had to think about free agency. But that he would, in fact, be very interested in returning to Buffalo because he liked what, the, he liked what was going on with the coaching staff, he liked what the team brought to the table, he liked the direction we were headed in. When's the last time you heard that out of the mouth of a free agent? I don't know. <laughs> I'll wait. I don't know. Maybe Charles Clay said that when we got him. I don't know. Nah, because we paid him a boatload of money for a tight end. We paid, he's in the top, I want to say top 10 for tight end pay in the league. I mean, he had every reason to enjoy coming to Buffalo. So, ultimately, next week, we have our free agency primer. That's going to be coming up. And I have to say this. The 2018 free agency class for the Buffalo Bills is going to be extremely interesting to watch. I mean, as of today, we only have 53 players under contract. Of those players, only 34 of them have ever played in an NFL football game. 
It's going to be interesting to see exactly how they flesh out the roster this season. And the signings that they make may very well tip their hand as to what their draft strategy truly might be. Because there's a ton of speculation about it right now. Now, anybody who went into Combine Weekend thinking that you knew, oh, I know this, or I feel like Bean and McDermott are going to do this, I feel like you learned nothing this weekend. (laughs) That's not even me just being... I'm not trying to be a dick about it. I'm well, don't just tell saying. that to Ski from Hashtag Sports. Oh, Jesus. The he guy, loves the Underwear Olympics. He literally took days off of work to watch it. Folks, I don't know. Chris, if you had the Nerd Alert app uh, sound effect queued up on the tablet, I'd be telling you to play it right now. I don't. I'm it sorry. Just po- no, it just popped into my head. That's some of the nerdiest shit I've ever heard of. Oh, we're going to have to roast Mario about his partner there when he comes on the show next week. So... Being in McDermott's first combine, what did we learn? In case you haven't gotten the hint from our shows previous, I think that the entire combine process is absurd. For the last five days, my social media feeds have all been clogged up with photos of people doing things I see people do at the gym every day. Routine things that aren't that special. Just, I don't know. Other guy, you got guys with check marks next to their name who spent the entire weekend either bloviating over what they quote unquote know or making absurd statements for everybody else just to fight over. It's literally enough to make me jealous of Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder. Oh, yeah, because they're blind. <laughs> Good one. Me personally, I managed to successfully avoid watching a single second of the NFL Combine. I ignored all the group chats where it was being discussed. I, I, I paid almost no attention to it whatsoever. The way I feel about the Combine is this. Let these kids work out. Let them meet with teams. Give me the data and the audio after the fact and let me peruse it at, just gonna peruse it at my leisure. Don't waterboard me with it and I swear to God, bring up a debate over hand size and I'll scalp someone like this was the movie Dances with Wolves. Hey, listen, crybaby! I will downsize your face with a shovel! <laughs> so come Sunday, I sat down with a 24-ounce cocktail, made a big old drink, and for the first time actually looked over what happened this weekend. Here are some of my overarching takeaways from what I paid attention to of this week's Combine coverage. First and foremost... Everybody loves a quarterback, but nobody can agree on them. Because there's so many to choose from that are all going to be good. I mean, you would expect that, considering that, I mean, you have a crop of quarterbacks that everyone's talking about might be the best in recent history. That's what I say. And you you friggin' got wrong our our Josh Allen bet. It's top ten. He's going to go in the top ten, and you're going to have to drink his Seagrams. Josh Allen is going to suck and die. There's my... I'm going to make sure that... that He's uh, in the crash and burn like the Hindenburg. Oh. When we get to covering Josh Allen, we'll have Travis Wingfield on for that. He's going to change your mind. I, did, I don't see anybody changing my mind. He's Kyle Bowler 2.0. And you can you can get that and stick that in your audio archives to bring back and throw in my face later. So, you, they, so like Chris and I are arguing right now. That's what I heard all weekend. Everybody who was looking at Twitter, oh, well, this guy said this. Pete Prisco said that uh, Josh Rosen didn't look good while he was throwing. But this guy says he did look good. Who gives a shit? They're quarterbacks. They're throwing to wide receivers they don't know in an 
and then you know they got guys snapping them balls that aren't real centers. It's the whole thing is absurd. It's absurd. Dogs living together, mass hysteria. <laughs> Nobody can agree on quarterbacks because everybody is so badly wanting to be right. All of these national pundits want to be right. They want to pick a guy, they're willing to hedge their bets and say, Well, I saw this guy and I thought he was good. And uh, rabble, rabble, rabble. I, I, it makes me want to smash my face off the table. <laughs> so, it just goes to show, though, that every th- beauty is in the eye of the beholder when it comes to these quarterbacks. Every team is going to evaluate them differently. You know, it goes, look at the nonsense with, what's his face? Um, Lamar Jackson. Uh, Lamar Jackson. First, you know, the report comes out, ah, teams want to see him as a wide receiver. But then another report comes out, nobody actually asked him to do that, and no one knows where that quote came from. How does no one know where the quote came from? It got published around the country. I, I'm just, it's one of the aspects of the draft that I despise. It sounds like fake process news. That I despise. It's unbelievable to me, and I'm glad it's over. Having said that, there are some great stories that came out of this. Shaquem Griffin, he is going to be a great story to watch in this draft process. His older brother's a safety for the Seattle Seahawks, and he made waves coming out of college, putting up pretty solid stats as a linebacker with only one friggin' hand. Then this weekend, he made waves after he not only ran a 4.3840, but also bench-pressed 225 20 times while only having one friggin' hand. And how, and how many... I can't bench-press 225 20 times. I tried it after I saw the report that he did it He did it 20 times. And I said, okay, well, how many times? I, I, can, I go to the gym a lot, and I prefer to Mandelbaum? lift. I don't do a lot of cardio. I prefer to lift. Mandelbaum. Mandelbaum from Seinfeld. I got in the gym. I laid down on the flat bench. I put 225 on. You think you're better than me? (laughs) It turns out I cannot do 20 rounds. I'm not going to say how many I did for fear of embarrassing myself. Some team is going to draft Griffin. He will be the first player to play an NFL game with that sort of debilitating birth defect, Chris. I'm telling you. Mark my words. Yeah, I believe it. And I'll say this. While he may never be a starter, his very presence is going to be paving the way for hundreds of kids just like him who didn't think they could ever set foot on an NFL playing field. I mean, to me, I've got a cousin who was born with a rare genetic defect. Where and they, they said, they, they've, her doctor said, they've never seen anything like it. Normally, when you, you, you have a limb that doesn't fully develop, in her case, she had a leg that never even started to develop. The pelvis was, doesn't even have a socket for it. She was born literally with no leg and missing most of one arm. Okay? Having said that, she now plays on a sled hockey team that played during the intermission of a Carolina Hurricanes game. For a young kid, she doesn't think that there's anything she can't do. She's watched guys play sled hockey, and she said, that look that looks pretty cool. I want to go try that. Look at these guys. These guys do this competitively. They play in the Special Olympics. Why can't I do that? Shaquem Griffin is going to do this for kids all over the place who are going to see this and say, hey, why can't I play football? So I'm missing a hand. Why can't I go out here and do this? And that's good for everybody, not just the game. I think he's a name that not just Bills fans, but if you're a fan of football, you should be watching his story with some some level of interest. 
Then another one of my takeaways. The health and screening portion of the combine is crucial. Okay? Every year, this time of year, guys show up and get medically checked at the combine. And somewhere along the line, some of these athletes find out that their dreams of playing football just might not happen for reasons that are completely out of their control. This year, defensive tackle Maurice Hurst out of Michigan finds himself in that category. Isn't he like a first-round projection? They're projecting him in the first round. I mean, I think he's, from defensive tackle standpoint, he's probably in years with a... This is the tricky thing about this D-tackle class. It's not top-heavy, but it's deep. He will go in the top... I think that the problem with this entire draft as a whole is that there's not a ton of top-end talent, but there's a lot of depth. He will go in the first round simply because there's not 32 guys everyone agrees on is, hey, that's a first-round talent. But he deserves to be considered. Having said that, this may drop his stock considerably. He's, I'm, I, it'll be interesting to see if he can go at his pro day if they get him medically cleared to participate because they wouldn't clear him at the combine, and that's going to send up red flags everywhere. He found out that he has a heart condition and was sent away for further testing. And right now, his future is very much in the air. But I think in all of this, something that gets lost in in the shuffle, you know, the the you know exasperation, fans who hey, I wanted that player, pundits who oh well, I mocked him going here, and now I got to fix my mock draft. This is a person's life. This test and this this discovery, while maybe jeopardizing his NFL career, may have saved his life by catching his ailment now before it further endangered his well-being. I mean, Chris, this is important, and it's, it's a crucial part of the, of the combine. And you know what? I, I, everyone feels bad for these guys. I feel good for them because you don't have to be the guy who goes out there and dies on a football field or it's, dies of complications after the fact. You just look at uh, Eagles long snapper John Dornbos. Got traded to the Saints at the beginning of last season and then had a heart condition, had to retire. Yeah, but but thank God they yeah. figured that out because otherwise he would have died on the field. He could have died on the football field. I think this is absolutely an important part of the process. And then attending the combine and trying to participate is still an absolute crapshoot. Every season you hear about somebody who was the greatest thing since sliced bread and vaults their draft stock into the stratosphere, and then you hear about a bunch of other guys who went up in flames like the Hindenburg, and the media jumps all over him. This year, Saquon Barkley put up the greatest combine performance from a prospect ever. For a 233-pound running back, he had the best workout of any big running back in the last 18 years. He was always slotted to go in that top 5 to 10 range of the draft. Now they're talking one. (laughs) After this, they are literally putting him in as the first pick overall in more than 20 years. Kajana Carter. Kajana Carter was the last, 1995, was the last time a running back went number one overall. I mean, let's hope his career goes a little bit better than Kajana Carter's if he goes number one overall. But that's how crazy one great, you know, just transcendent workout can do for you. That would be hilarious if they did take number one and then somebody traded up with the Giants and Colts and then took Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold and then they're at four like a... What the fuck? <laughs> we got to take Josh Allen, which makes you drink a Seagram's, because you're going to do that anyway. I'll see you in hell, Chris. At the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, left tackle Orlando Brown from Oklahoma. 
He was supposed to be a late first, early second round pick. He was arguably the second or third best offensive tackle in this class. Yeah, he's going to go undrafted. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but, That's how bad his combine was. Well, but almost like the ying to Barkley's yang, he had what USA Today declared as quote-unquote historically bad combine performance. He ran an embarrassing 40. He lacked explosion in the jumping drills. And he got out bench pressed by almost every other offensive tackle, some running backs, and even a punter. <laughs> this type of performance forces scouts to go back and review your collegiate tape with a lot more scrutiny. It can ultimately hurt your draft stock. It certainly doesn't help because you can't go out there and stink up the place to the to a point that people are calling you historically bad and not expect that it's going to cost you money when it comes to where you slot into the draft. That's why attending this thing at all. I mean, people bagged on Josh, uh, uh, Sam Darnold for not throwing. Sam Darnold very well may not be a very good thrower. So him not throwing passes at the, at the combine might be a blessing in disguise for him since he, when he does throw, it'll be under familiar circumstances with wide receivers he knows and he won't put any ugly tape out there. But that, yeah, but that's also the that, thing that they've done recently at, at the combine is Guys are coming in and throwing at the combine. Before, like five, six years ago, quarterbacks coming out, they wouldn't throw at the combine. They would only throw at their pro day. Because they were worried about hurting reason. their stock, whereas the guys who are doing it this year are doing it to try to differentiate themselves, which is wildly different than what we've seen out of Sam Darnold. The same thing can be said for Orlando Brown. He might have been better off not attending at this point. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to his draft stock and probably what happens at his pro day where he's now going to have to try to redeem himself. And then we get down to Baker Mayfield. He was my funniest moment of the entire weekend. And for reasons that you wouldn't even, I guess, it's not something you'd think of at first glance. Mayfield, who met with the Bills, tried to defend Orlando Brown after his workout by stating that scouts should pay less attention to his performance and drills and pay more attention to the zero sacks that he gave up in college. I'm not sure if he was talking about this last season or overall in his career, but it made me laugh my ass off because it occurred to me, it actually dated me a little bit. It made me feel like the old man that I'm turning into because I realized Mayfield is clearly too young to remember an offensive tackle named Mike Williams who came out of the Big 12. He, oh, yeah, he, fourth <laughs> overall. He's clearly too young to remember an offensive tackle who had collegiate accolades and never allowed a sack, and everything was looking up on this guy, so much so that the Buffalo Bills drafted him with the fourth overall pick, and then he went on to be one of the biggest busts in Bills franchise history, which is saying something considering how bad we've drafted in the first round over the last 15 years. All in all, I just thought it was hysterical. And Brown hopefully finds a little more success in the NFL than Williams did. Because, I mean, let's face it, it would almost be impossible not to. And then we've got our Buffalo Bills takeaways from the combine. I mean, <laughs> as it pertains to our team, under Doug Whaley, Bills fans kind of knew what to expect when it came to, to the pre-draft process. The Bills had a history under him of only drafting players they had met with and even then, it was typically players they'd had met with more than once. I mean, Chris, am I wrong? Yeah, I'm still mad that we uh, we uh, interviewed uh, Dak Prescott, and then he got taken four spots before we took Cardale Jones. I'm still mad about that. 
Under Bean, it's hard to know what to expect, and speculating on it kind of seems pointless. Instead, I'm simply looking at the information in front of me and trying to match it up with what we've seen from Bean to this point. First and foremost, my biggest Bills takeaway comes from the Bills Combine meetings. The local media cycle has been all over the quarterback controversy lately. But looking over the list of meetings the Bills took, there are some interesting things of note. First and foremost, the Bills met pretty much all of the big-name quarterbacks. They also met with some names that are far from household, such as Mike White from Western Kentucky. Wasn't he in School of Rock? (laughs) No. Right? Mr. Schneebly? Mr. Schneebly. The team also met at the Senior Bowl with quarterback Brandon Silvers from Troy University. I guess it's interesting to me that while having Peterman on the roster, they're still visiting with players who project as depth options at the NFL level. Also on the quarterback front, I noticed an interesting wrinkle. The Bills attended the Senior Bowl earlier this year, and they met with both Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield, who were the two marquee names of the weekend. But at the Combine, they chose not to meet with Allen, but did meet with Mayfield. Now, with no frame of reference as to how Bean's pre-draft process works, it's difficult to tell if this means something, if it's a smokescreen, or if it indicates that they may have a preference towards one of them. But considering that Allen is considered to be a top quarterback prospect in the draft. That's only by Mel Kuyper. I mean, I like Josh Allen a lot, but not as much as fucking Kuyper. (laughs) Well, considering that people are talking about him as a top quarterback prospect and that Mayfield is generally considered to be slotted behind him, it's interesting that they opted not to visit with Allen. Don't you don't you have like a limited number of visits at the combine? No. The only time your visits are limited are when it comes to who can visit your facility before the draft. But don't you don't you have like an allotted time at the combine like you can only meet for 15 minutes? Maybe. Or 20 I don't minutes? Know. What do I look like? The fucking combine? I'm the guy who hates the combine. Uh, what do I know about the combine law? Uh, yeah, uh, Paul Wineski. <laughs> Paul Wineski, call in if you hear this and let us know the uh, ruling on that. Aside from the quarterback, team, the team also met with offensive tackles. And this was the thing that stuck out to me when I look over, look over the list of the people that the team visited with during the combine, they saw a shitload of offensive tackles. You're talking about from guys like UCLA's Colton Miller, Mississippi State's Martinez Rankin, and NC and North Carolina's Agricultural and Tech College, Brandon Parker. These guys are all slotted as second and third round right tackle prospects. You wouldn't move any of these to guard? Nah. They all project as right tackles. And then they also met with projects like, I guess, a guy who's being voted as a priority undrafted free agent, like Jared Jones-Smith from Pittsburgh. Now, obviously, we all know as Bills fans, we need a right tackle. Jordan Mills is a subpar starter, and we have plenty of draft picks available. 
But in my opinion, this is more the team doing their due diligence heading into free agency than anything else. The cost of undrafted free agents is always, or even just, just free agency as a whole is always inflated. And there are really only a handful of options on the market this season that are going to be considered reasonably priced as well as an upgrade to what we currently have. I mean, Jordan Mills, how many times, Chris? He's a rotating door. Get him the fuck out of here. Have you heard me yell? Have you seen me throw furniture over the presence of Jordan Mills? Uh, It's happened plenty of times. (laughs) And which I think this coming season, I'm going to actually buy you a wicker chair for road games that we watch at your place that you can just hammer. (laughs) We'll take a picture of it. Like we, first road game and then our last road game of the season. I don't even want to bring that to tailgates. Because you, I would not put it past you if we have like a Monday night Dallas Cowboy loss or a Monday or a Cleveland Browns loss, you know, six three loss, and you come back to the tailgate and take this huge wicker chair and put it through someone's windshield. <laughs> I do not put it past you Chris, to do that. I don't know the man that you're speaking of. I mean, I'm I'm a much more reasonable human being. I don't know if any of you can see it on the podcast, but I'm winking at Chris. So. I guess what I'm saying is the value in getting a first-hand look at players who will likely be there when they draft, even in a trade-up scenario, they're going to have a late-round pick to fill that need at right tackle in the event that we get priced out on that in, in the free agency market. It makes sense. I mean, it definitely makes the free agency week more interesting, knowing that we finally have a GM who seems to understand that even with two good tackles on the roster, which also kind of lends to the trade conversation, you're visiting all of these tackles. Why? You have two good tackles on your roster. Maybe you can plug them both in. Well, it seems like we're still looking at tackles, maybe because they feel like one of them won't be here next year. I don't know. Yeah, Cordy Glenn, take care. Deion Dawkins, who you hated. Who I hated. He's going to take his place, left tackle. It could happen. I'm just saying it could happen. But it definitely makes our foray into free agency and into this draft class, into the draft itself, more interesting. And then number two, my second, the second biggest takeaway from, as far as it pertains to the Buffalo Bills at the Combine, Bina McDermott's coach speak knows no bounds. Whether it was discussion on who they met with or questions about Tyrod's future, McBean combined in like to Voltron. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott combined to form a Voltron type entity. Look, that I look, bored I, everyone into unconsciousness without actually saying anything of value. Look, I, I watched I think McDerm- uh, McDermott's presser was like twenty something minutes on the Bill's website. And I started watching it for purposes of the podcast, and I got to about 10 minutes. I'm going, you know what? He's not going to say anything important, and neither is Bean. I will watch I will watch no more of this or Beans at all. I watched none of Beans because it would just be typical coach speak. Guys, at this point, I feel like it's their equivalent of Jedi mind tricks. Put yourself in the shoes of someone at, 
you know, at the combine, who's trying really hard to interview the two of them. You ask a question that could have a controversial answer. They look you deep in the eyes. They speak in a manner that's very frank, well-spoken, somewhat monotone, and yet carries no actual answer. Suddenly, you're waking up. They're gone. A janitor is sweeping the floor around you, and there's drool on the collar of your shirt. That is what happens when you talk to Brandon Bean or Sean McDermott about anything that matters. How come how come none of these journalists ask him a question, they hear what they what is said, and then they just go, Well, you didn't answer my question. <laughs> how come no one's ever done that? I think because they all understand the fact that five seconds in they know, oh shit. <laughs> wow, they're not they're not answering my question. They just take it and roll. And that's why we're not professional journalists. And we will never be. <laughs> And neither will you. If, <laughs> Guys, if, if you keep smiling and showing your teeth, you'll never be that. <laughs> All I can say is that the two of them combined are walking ambient. It's, it's, it's different. It's different than anything I've ever experienced talking about a coaching staff or a general manager of the Buffalo Bills. So as we continue the Rockpile Report's 2018 draft series, we're talking wide receivers and tight ends tonight. And I got to admit, it's a topic I don't know a damn thing about. Well, we're gonna. Need, <laughs> I, I'm gonna want tall receivers because Tyrod, if he's gonna be our quarterback, throws all over the damn place, and we need receivers that are as as tall as minute bowls. <laughs> don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Luckily, folks, we are, we've we been blessed with the presence of a, another draft aficionado here tonight to help walk us through this portion of the 2018 draft class. We have Mr. Michael Kist on with us tonight. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. It's nice to talk with you guys again. Still Super Bowl champions over here in Philadelphia. That has not changed for sure. <laughs> so now you do a lot of work. For those of you not familiar with him, you do a lot of work with Bleeding Green Nation. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, That's correct. Now, what else do you do in conjunction with that? Like, what are your, what is your, you know, when you're blogging, podcasting, do you know, doing radio? What is it? Where are your outlets that you primarily spend your time on? Yeah, I do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff working on the draft guide for Inside the Pylon. Uh, I'm doing cross-checking wide receivers. I'm doing some initial reports for defensive backs and then some cross-checking with that as well. So a lot of stuff I've been doing lately is just it's just not out there because it's not going to get out there until the guide comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a crew of like 57 scouts or something like that. We're I think we're done finalized with about 435 reports, and there's about 700 total coming because you know we put this out to the CFL as well, so they use us as a resource. And then, you know, Bleeding Green Nation, I'll drop an article every now and then, drop, drop in some X and O stuff. I just dropped one today, which is on the topic that we're talking about today, is uh, route running with DJ Moore and Cortland Sutton, the wide receiver from SMU, uh, detailing the different type of breaks and whatnot. And then uh, I also do at NFL Daily Mock. That's at dailymock.com, up on daily, dailymock.com. And uh, I do a daily mock. I do a daily off-season simulation for the Philadelphia Eagles, re-signing, free agents, all that good stuff. It's, and then, you know, the draft, of course. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of different things, a lot of irons in the fire. That's awesome. You're obviously staying busy. I got to <laughs> no, ask, you guys won the Super Bowl. First one ever. You're obviously old enough to really appreciate what that means. Hmm. And we saw the chaos that unfolded after the Super Bowl there in Philadelphia. Now, 
is the city fans, everybody, is, is there a hangover from the Super Bowl still? Is everyone still kind of just like, hey, we're still kind of basking in the glow of this? Or are fans in, your, in the Philadelphia fan base really kind of plugged into this pre-draft process and kind of looking forward to next season? Yeah, I think it changed the outlook of the city, but I don't think it's changed the passion of the city. And you can go to Twitter, put in Nick Foles, and see what Eagles fans are saying about him on one side you know, or the other. And I guarantee you're going to find some impassioned debates about what we should do moving forward, how we continue to have this success. Uh, so I think, there, yeah, of course, there's a little bit of hangover. People are still kind of partying. I'm pretty content with the way things are right now and content <laughs> with the future and the pieces that we have in place. How can you not be with Doug Peterson? Howie Roseman did a fantastic job. You've got your franchise quarterback coming back. So, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty good. But at the same time, you know, I think everyone's pretty dialed in into what the next step is because I think everyone is expecting dynasty now, which whether that's fair or not, uh, that's just kind of the reality of, of what people are expecting. Oh, no, trust me. As, as a Bills fan, nobody understands crazy fan expectations more than we do. So yeah. you had a chance to go to the Senior Bowl this year. So some of the mm-hmm. wide receivers we're going to talk about, you may have gotten a chance to see up close. What was that like being invited to the Senior Bowl? It was pretty cool because – you're sitting in the stands at the 50-yard line, and you're and I'm sitting there with the guys from inside the pylon, like Mark Schofield and Matty Brown and Nick Lido and stuff like that. And you know, you're watching these individual drills, and you're and you're just bouncing stuff off of each other. Did you see this? Did you see that? Oh, check that rep out over there. You know, Trayvon Henderson is coming up as a safety. Check this rep one-on-one thing. Um, and it was just constant uh, eye candy. And then being able to go to the Exos film room after after the practice and break down the coaches' film of it, slow it down with the coaches' clicker and have the big screens and everything like that. It was just it was crazy. And and you know, I got a little bit of a reputation as a as a partier while I was down there. Uh, so that was uh, that was fun. I made it in a few articles for for people. So I was nice. glad I was able to enhance their experience. So I, you know, overall, just a great time. You know, listen, I hey, listen, I seem to have the same effect on people. You know, I show up and people are just like, oh, that guy, that guy throws down. And I, I like to say that I enhance their experience. My fiance begs to differ. But, hey, we, you say tomato, I say tomato. She calls me a menace. I say I'm enhancing the experience. Here's what it is. Now, you, now, now I guess I guess I'm going to ask. So possible, you know, you know, as far as the draft goes, what's your draft coverage schedule going to look like? Yeah, we'll be dropping the draft guide within the next month here. As far as coverage we are putting together a 150 big board for Bleeding Green Nation, um, and they're going to be citing that heavily through throughout their coverage of the draft. Also, going to the draft itself in Dallas is is most likely. That looks like it's in the works. Um, we're still working on securing the booth, but you know there's always logistics to work around with that, with it being a new city and all that. But we're hoping that we're going to be right there on location with the booth, uh, talking draft nonstop, and you know Ben drops. My partner at the Kiston Solak show on BGN Radio, Benjamin Solak, works for NDTScouting.com, and he's putting out a crazy amount of content. So his stuff is is gold as well. Guys, make sure you go check all of that out. You being at the draft, I can't imagine the city of Dallas has no idea what's coming. Hurricane mm. Kist is rolling into town. <laughs> <laughs> so now as we move into talking about the actual wide receiver class, I've got something that's draft-related, sort of, and I want to get your take on it. Now, this is just something I've been kicking around in my own head. Hmm. Watching how teams have managed their rosters and kind of utilized their draft capital in tandem with cap space is always interesting to me. Uh, it, it illustrates league-wide trends. And good or bad, these changes in trends are fascinating in terms of understanding how GMs think and operate. 
Now, in seasons past, the biggest names on the market at wide receiver generally end up either being franchise tagged by the team that drafted them, or even before they get to that point, they have a long-term deal in place. And I'm talking about your Julio Jones, your Des Bryant, your Demarius Thomas. It's not the norm to see a lot of movement on those fronts. You know, huh. highly drafted wide receivers switching teams because passing is important at this yeah. point in the NFL. For sure. So this season, only one wide receiver was tagged. That's Jarvis Landry. And even his team has admitted that they're just using that tag in hopes of buying time to shop him in a trade. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we've watched teams like the Rams give up a second-round pick last offseason in the 2018 draft to acquire what amounted to a rental in Sammy yeah. Watkins with no guarantee of future retention. We've watched teams like the Panthers trade their number one wide receiver away for modest returns in Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, you, you're watching all this stuff and you see all these guys, you know, you're uh, Terrell Pryor. He was allowed to test free agency. You've got, uh, there's a, a bunch of names at that position, and I feel like that's the first time this is actually going to happen. I know the big free agency story is Kirk Cousins, but behind that, there's a storyline that says wide receivers are being allowed in mass to test the market. Hmm. Now, it's my opinion that GMs know that in this free agency period, wide receivers are going to command inflated salaries because of this year's lack of high-level options in the draft. And so teams are now making moves to try to either part way with part ways with players that they don't think they can afford. Like if they tag them, they know they don't want to pay the long term. What it's going to take to get them on a long term deal right now, yeah. or they're trading for other teams' wide receivers because the value is good, and they know that the expenditure of draft capital now is a better value than trying to draft a rookie. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's interesting because. Just within this class, within this wide receiver class, everyone is still looking for the the alpha dog, and there's a reason for that. I don't. I I think I've found one, uh, but even he's got worse in his game, and we could talk about that later when we get more into the draft stuff. But yeah, I don't think there are three getting taken in the top ten like last year. They're, you know, the Corey Corey Davis, John Ross, Mike Williams situation. Uh, I don't even know if there's three getting take taken in the first round this year, and that's going to force teams to either reach or be more proactive in the free agency phase because they know those answers, those those top answers aren't there. And then you look at the free agency class, and there are options. And what, just today, a wide receiver, Allen Robinson from the Jaguars, was told that he would not be tagged. A guy's got Pro Bowl talent. He's coming off that ACL. Even his teammate, Marquise Lee, would have given you uh, a Robert Woods type. And I'm not just saying that because they both came from USC. Like you said, Sammy Watkins uh, could be out there, and people are really forgetting how good he is when healthy. Albert Wilson is underrated, but he's likely lit to land with the Bears. Um, outside of that, you've got some, some role players and some guys that have had some shaky production for whatever reason. But to, to your point, again, there is no clear-cut number one wide receiver right now plug-and-play type of guy. There is no Julio Jones that is in this class. There's nothing really close to that type of athletic, physical freak. Um, and... At least that's what a lot of people are saying, and I would agree with that. And, it, and it's definitely going to steer some eyes to these free agents, and I think you're going to see a lot of movement in that area. And like you said, a lot of teams are trading uh, for guys. Landry, who is not even worth near whatever that franchise tag <laughs> oh, is for him, man. it's insane. 
you know, he's going to he's going to get dealt for probably better capital than he should. Oh, absolutely. And he's probably going to get a better contract than he should, too. But that's just the way that uh, the way that the market is right now. And with the draft coming up, teams that know they're not going to have uh, big time answers at the wide receiver position. I mean, I think that's become the dynamic right now with the entire position is that the teams who don't have wide receivers are willing to pay out the ass for them. And yeah. the ones who have them. No, they don't want to try to compete with that. So they're trying. Right. You've got teams that are trying to get good value for that player in exchange. Then you've got some teams who are just saying, "Look, Sammy, look, Allen, you got to go." I mean, we yeah. we just don't have. Listen, it's not that we we're trying to you know we're trying not trying to box you out. You just are going to outprice us, and we know it. Yeah, and I luck. have a good feeling that if Alshon Jeffrey was allowed to test the market, as opposed to Harry oh, Roseman preempting man. the market He's and signing be- him during the season. It was it was the only way that we were going to retain him. If he were to hit the market, there was no way this year in this offseason that we were going to be able to keep him. He has to be kicking himself right now. I mean, okay, <laughs> he's a unless, he's a Philly baby. He's loving it. Don't you worry about don't you worry <laughs> about my Alshon. Yeah, he's got a Super Bowl. Yeah, he's got yeah. a Super Bowl ring. He loves Carson Wentz. Everything's good for you boys. So now, when it comes to wide receiver types. There's a number of different types of wide receiver skill sets that exist, and not all of them are created equal. Now, to your point, you said Jarvis Landry might be grossly overpaid for his services. People might look at his stats and say, okay, this guy's a freak. But he needs a certain set of, you know, he needs a certain environment to thrive in. That's the reality of his skill set. Now, he's a slot receiver who needs somebody who can throw those short area passes and let him generate yards after the catch. He'll never be a red zone threat. His touchdown numbers will never be big. Yet he's going to be paid as if he's a team's number one wide receiver, which is crazy because his skill set may not dictate that. Now, having said that, to flesh out a competitive wide receiver core, it takes the right combination of all of those skill sets and talents. For the Buffalo Bills, we recently traded for a boundary wide receiver that has size with Kelvin Benjamin. We have another boundary type wide receiver with size with Andre Holmes. Rod Streeter is still under contract. He flashed a little speed and some hands and some special teams ability before his season-ending injury. And then we recently drafted a guy who was kind of a possession-type slot wide receiver in Zay Jones. Mm-hmm. Now, none of these wide receivers are known for their speed. And together, they were ranked as one of the worst in the NFL at creating separation on passing plays. So I guess my first question is, do you believe that there are some wide receivers who can be drafted in the middle rounds of this draft whose skill set can be kind of something of a complement hmm. to the group of wide receivers we currently have on the roster? Yeah, what you're talking about is finding guys that don't need to be schemed open, are not depending on dependent on 50-50 balls, guys with separation quickness and yes. the route running to back it up, right? Yes. So uh, in, in Mobile... Deshaun, Ham- Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State, he was uncoverable, uncoverable during the senior bowl practices. I mean, he was undressing dudes multiple times within the same route. And then you go to the <laughs> film room, the Exos film room, and you watch the coach's film slow down, and he's just doing jaw-dropping stuff throughout his route stems. It's so pretty. I was watching it with a wide receivers coach, and the wide receivers coach was saying, I, I don't know how to coach what he just did. I would just show them the video and say, try to do that with your body, whatever is going on. <laughs> So he's he's really clean. He gets open with route running real well. Um, he's got inconsistent hands, but they were pretty consistent that week. Uh, LSU wide receiver DJ Chark is going to be a better pro than college player, and he helped himself by blazing a uh, sub 4 4 uh, I don't think we've seen near what his complete game is yet. 
and he gives you a vertical threat from day one. That's 6-3 running sub 4-4, four, four, uh, and the guy hasn't even begun to hit his ceiling as a route runner. That's a guy that's going to create separation just with the speed alone. Memphis wide receiver Anthony Miller is a top five guy for me. There were rumblings about a foot injury that may have dropped him. It looks like he was medically clear for the combine, but he hadn't begun. He had just begun sprinting again. Uh, so he didn't run at the combine. He was going to run at his pro day. He's another guy I think you can get separation from. You can also get yak uh, yards after catch from. Uh, as far as one of the smaller guys, Texas Tech, Kiki could see smaller guy, but he's going to separate really well within the, within the slot uh, at the next level. So there are some guys in this class. Uh, for instance, uh, Washington wide receiver Dante Pettis. He didn't run an Indy because I think he's still dealing with an ankle knock, but uh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves for his ability to separate with nuance, but he's going to show some big-time explosion at the pro day. He was a prolific returner in college, so he brings value out of the gate right there. And I doubt they take this guy because of the recent you know, Bills pattern of dealing with locker room problems, but Florida wide receiver Antonio Callaway was a top-five receiver on the board for me in the summer before he was suspended for dumb, dumb stuff. Uh, but he's really smooth, fluid in his routes, guy that's going to drop big time through those character concerns. But, yeah, I think there's value for sure in the mid-rounds. It's just a matter of finding one that you think fits your scheme, uh, will bring the most production to you within a one- to three-year projection, and complement those pieces that you have. I think the guys that I listed do a pretty good job of that as far as what you already have versus what you can upgrade and look, look for to improve your offense. This is what I want to know. This is probably the only time I'll ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> We're a run-heavy team. So who are some of the receivers in the draft that are great run blockers? Oh, I would go with Cortland Sutton. Uh, he gets after it. Uh, DJ Chark's got some dog in him, and he, he was really hyped about a special team cycle he had in the game, and he gave a, he gave a big-time effort. Uh, Michael Gallup, Colorado State, he's got some blocking chops to him. Uh, some of the other guys are just terrible at it. I mean, uh, DJ Moore can block, but he's going to be a first round. He's going to be a first round guy. I don't. I don't think you end up taking him there. But yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, we a lot of them aren't very good. I'll put it that way. Yeah, we haven't had a good run blocking receiver probably since Bob Woods. Robert Woods was prolific at run blocking. And now I'll, I'll say this: you watch Todd Gurley's production spike again when he had wide receivers who weren't afraid to go out there and knock somebody on their ass. Yeah. Robert Woods did that for him this year. And you well, saw it a lot of someone. He's going to give you nothing. <laughs> well, no, God, you know. And this is going to be one of my points that I talked to you off the air, but I'll bring it up on the air because it shows my naivety <laughs> when it comes to this stuff. Wide receiver, tight end. I didn't. I didn't look at whatsoever. Mm. I thought that Washington. Just watching what I watched, I watched a whole lot of Oklahoma State football. Yeah. Because it, they they were on a lot of primetime games. And what did you see? I, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought that the top he <laughs> was six foot two. <laughs> that shows you how little I know. That's yeah. why we have you here, Mike. That's why you're here on the show with us. Yeah. So now switching gears at tight end. The Bills have a talented but oft injured Charles Clay. We got baby hands O'Leary. He's got a sizable <laughs> Clay has. A, oh, yeah. We call O'Leary baby hands. He's got some like of the that. tiniest hands I've ever seen on a man his size, and he refuses to wear gloves. It's He's a throwback in that way. He will not wear gloves. So it's funny when you see him just out there going to catch the ball, and you're like, oh, he doesn't have gloves on. That's why it looks weird when he's going to catch it. This guy can't hold a whopper. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> so, well, but, and that's the thing. Like he, he actually kind of showed up this year, but he's an exclusive rights-free agent. I assume we are going to retain his services. But... Behind him and Clay, 
Clay's got an injury history, and he's making a ton of money. Next year, we could save money by cutting him. You know, his dead cap hit's going to be very small next year. What can you say about this year's tight end crop in terms of the ability to find a future number one outside of the first and early second round? Yeah, I think there are guys to be had that can fill any number of roles. The rub for me with this tight end class, finding one that can do both, uh, referring to being a receiver and, and a, a blocker. blocker. I mean, yeah. Mike Gusecki tested out of the gym at the Combine. He, he jumped 41 and a half and ran his butt off and all, all, all that stuff. He can't block. He's an abysmal blocker, so you don't have that going for you. I think Goddard's one of the, one of the ones that can. Um, you still have to do some projecting there. And you look at guys later on in the, in the draft past that that top crop. Stanford tight end Dalton Schultz only has 55 career receptions. Uh, and that's a run-heavy team, and he's a good blocker. And from what I'm told from people I know from his camp, uh, they believe five additional pounds is where they want him to play. So over 250, which would be good for him. It's just a matter of him projecting those traits as a receiver. Same thing for Durham Smythe from Notre Dame. Fantastic blocker. Played with an awful quarterback that should be shot. Uh, <laughs> Hey listen, I, I, I hey, listen, I threatened to scalp people like dances with wolves <laughs> earlier. So you're you're good. You can say whatever you want. Yeah, you didn't happen no. you didn't happen to catch any of these guys hand size, did you? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> you bring up hand size, I'll stand you. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing that really stood out. Like Winbush couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Uh, I don't know what you do with Smith's production uh, with Smice production. Uh, but he could definitely block so he at least fills that role and I think he's athletic enough when you got to see him. Uh, do it. He's a natural catcher. Christopher Herndon from Miami was looking to be that move tight end before he went down for the year with a knee injury. And the year before, he was stuck behind athletic freak David Njoku. Mm -hmm. So there are some unknowns there, too. And Njoku was a late first-round draft pick, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Correct. So so if this guy was stuck behind him but was still good enough to play, he might Mm. be that kind of second-round, third-round guy who you could come in. He could be your Tyler Eifert. He could be a yeah, this is what to your point. The one thing I, out of the little bit that I have paid attention to this, these pass catching positions, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of, you know, when I think of an all around tight end, I think of a Kyle Rudolph. Right. Kyle Rudolph is never going to blow the doors off you as a elite runner downfield. He's never going to be an elite wide receiver. But you only, he's not Gronk. But what he is is he's solid at the line of scrimmage when you need him to be. And at the same time, in the intermediate areas of the field and in the red zone, he's dangerous because he's big and he's physical. Huh. That's what I want out of my number one tight end. So it sounds like there are some guys who might fit that role, but it sounds like there's a lot of glorified wide receivers playing tight end. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. And you look at the system, too. Mark Andrews from Oklahoma was detached off the line all the time. Yep. Can't block. Everybody loved Andrews here. I I heard so many people talk about Andrews. If the Bills took Andrews in the second round, it would be the greatest thing ever. If we got a quarterback in the first round in this, and I'm just, I'm just putting my face firmly in the palm of my hand and just rubbing my forehead. I'm like, you don't understand. He's, he's. We run the ball here in Buffalo, and guess what? He can't help you do is run the ball. Well, and even he he bulked up this year. I was gonna, I was gonna say as a, uh, uh. Person watching football, not nearly with the knowledge of you two, people that follow the basis of football know that the tight end is the quarterback's safe safe play. So that's why people wanted Andrews. 
Because oh, he you was get Baker his, Mayfield's yeah. like go to yeah. if no one else. Is a, oh yeah. But then people also fail to recognize that we're uh, a running team, and obviously he's not a good run blocker because they don't do that at Oklahoma. They yeah. play in those I, wide they, open offenses. They did, yeah. They detach him off the line all the time. Uh, he did really good on scramble drills to make himself available for Baker. That was a lot of what their offense was predicated on when things broke down, making things happen. Uh, Goddard at South Dakota State was detached all the time. Mike Gusecki was more inline, but he was he got blown up all the time as an inline blocker, so you don't even really count that. So yeah, a lot of the t- top tight ends really can't block. Mark Andrews, one of them, Mark Andrews put on extra weight this year to I, I guess try to block better, but he was horrible at it, so they didn't do it with him. <laughs> <laughs> so finding a complete one, I mean, there's a reason you're not talking about a tight end in the top 15, right? Because they true. don't have that complete package with that athletic and physical profile. Because I'm pretty sure if anybody. I think the NFL got turned on to physical freaks at tight end because of Gronkowski. Gronkowski hmm. kind of was the cornerstone for the tight end market. But now, anytime anybody even has his size and seemingly plays a little bit physical in the passing game, they're like, oh, oh he everyone's could be the next Gronkowski. Everyone's Travis Kelsey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, no, these guys are good. The reason why they're perennial pro bowlers and the reason why they get paid what they get paid is because they can do both. They're yeah. dynamic in run blocking, but they're also monsters in the in the passing game. And it doesn't sound like there's any of these guys here in this draft. Yeah. Now, when we get to your favorites, you've looked, you've researched hundreds of kids, hundreds of kids coming into this draft season. What are your some of I guess some of the guys that you would say you put your stamp Michael Kiss stamp of approval on for the 2018 draft? Yeah, the one that I've been watching recently, and if you have been on Twitter in the past couple of days, you've probably seen me shooting out a bunch of videos on him, and I, I put him in the article for Bleeding Green Nation today, uh, SMU wide receiver Cortland Sutton, who's 6'3", I believe 218 is what he weighed in at, uh, and he's just starting to unlock his athletic potential. He ran a 6'5", 7'3", cone, and for those that don't know what a good 3 cone is, that is like you're getting close to hitting on on some records for 6'3", 218 to be able to move and have that kind of change of direction ability is freaky. He is fluid from head to toe. He's a big dude and he's getting better as a route runner. I remember watching his 2016 tape going, I don't get the hype on this guy at all. And then 2017 tape, I go back and look at that. I'm like, Oh my God, because he got technically better. And when he got technically better, it unleashed his true athleticism, which is a freaky thing for a guy his size. So Cortland Sutton is a guy that I'm real big on. I think, you know, if you were to put together a starting roster of wide receivers, you've got Cortland Sutton as your X. You've got Calvin Ridley from Alabama as your Z. And then in the slot, you've got DJ Moore. And DJ Moore, by the way, grew an inch, and he's six foot now, apparently. I thought he could play inside and outside the wide receiver out of Maryland. And then he comes to the uh, teams had him at 5'10". He measured at six foot. The Maryland website had him at 5'11". He came in at six foot. When does that ever happen? It usually goes the reverse. <laughs> yeah, usually <laughs> you know? usually guys report bigger than they're supposed to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he comes in and and then he runs four four two and then he kills it in the agility drills and you're like, oh, this guy's taller than we think he is and the tape is fantastic and it really separated himself from a guy another slot guy like Christian Kirk from Texas A and M who didn't really have a good day, uh, so that was pretty cleared up. And then for tight ends, I, I mentioned it before, um, I love his game. I think Duran Smythe, Duran Smythe. Might get drafted in the fourth round. What school did he go to? Notre Dame. Notre Dame, okay. He is going to play 12 years in the league. 
he is going to play a lot longer than a lot of these guys are going to get drafted in front of him. He's just not the sexiest pick. But give me that kind of guy. Like in in Philadelphia, too, if Selleck retires or Selleck is getting old anyway, in the fourth round, you can pick for the future like that. Uh, he's that blocking tight end that you want. I mean, that would be perfect for Buffalo with how much they run the ball. He is one of the better blockers in in, in coming into the draft. Notre Dame tight ends can block. Well, no, I mean? and they preach that. Notre Dame, I mean, look, Kyle Rudolph. <laughs> yep, Absolutely. exactly. Another example of a – and that's the type of guy that I guess we need. And I look at our current tight end depth chart, and we don't have that guy. Because Clay, yes, he's good when he's healthy, which is almost never. Hmm. <laughs> now, after you know all the film study you do and all the research you do, are there some guys out there that you think maybe are being a little bit overvalued? By national pundits, by the scouting community, I mean, by your own personal, you know, your just personal review, have you? Who are the names that you think are being overinflated in value? As far as wide receiver and tight end, you want me to go like the whole the whole shebang? Because well, I, I, I got mean, a like few. in wide receiver tight end, <laughs> <laughs> just wide receiver tight end. Who do you think are the names that are being maybe propped up a little? I mean, I saw a mock draft a couple months ago, and I hate mock drafts. I'll, I'll full full disclosure. I think mock drafts are pointless because all it takes is one team like the Browns to do something stupid and it throws yeah. everybody's mock draft out the window. Yeah, I agree, yeah. So when I when I when I look at just value of players and I look at what players did and what they accomplished, I try to put it, you know, in into a, you can look at it in a vacuum, but then you also have to take into account what's going on around them. Yeah. I saw a draft where somebody had mocked Mason Rudolph at 21 and Washington at 22. Yeah, okay. And I said, Washington at 22, I'll stab my eyes out. That's it. I will be blind for the rest of the There's an Oklahoma me. State fan that did that, for sure. Because Washington is one of my guys. that I James Washington at Oklahoma State, I think, is being extremely overvalued by the draft community and by draft pundits. And what you needed to see from James Washington, and I saw him live in Mobile. I saw him weigh in. His body... Didn't look like anything that I expected to. He looked a little bit more like a running back, and even then I wasn't that impressed. And he was high-hipped. He was stiff. Uh, he's not a nuanced route runner. He won. Where he won in college was on deep post, nine routes, and rainbow balls from you know Mason Rudolph beating up on Big 12 corners. Name me Big 12 corners in the past four years outside of maybe Daryl Worley and Rasul Douglas, who happened to play on the same team at West Virginia. Well, we Name all know that the Big one. 12 doesn't play defense, and that's the exactly. problem. Is that I don't even know football. those names. I told Chris, <laughs> when, when we were off air before the show, I told Chris, a couple. I reminded him of a couple years ago, I brought up the fact that when we were talking about quarterback statistics meaning something in college, I brought up Andrew Florence, Bryce mm. Petty, and RG3. Mm-hmm. And I read him their statistics, but didn't tell him whose belonged to whose. Yeah. Andrew Florence was the best quarterback out of the three of them. And yet he didn't play NFL football because he knew that he was not an NFL football player. Yeah, so, so, so James I guess Washington. If, well, what beat I was going to say, I guess. Is, well, and that's it. What you're talking about is a guy taking advantage of a system that's, you know, the Big 12, they're notorious for these air raid systems. That's what they run. Oklahoma State did it very well in college. But in college, you have a guy who you spread a defense out. There's going to be two guys on that field who probably walk down to the football team. Yeah. In the NFL, you're not going to have that luxury. 
Because even the worst player who like even the dime corner is still as good as the best corner you played against in college. Yeah. So those systems don't translate, and that's what scares me about wide receivers like like Washington. And just I guess I I can absolutely see where his value is being pumped up because of the scheme that he played in. Yeah. You know what I mean? No. Oh, yeah. And then he comes and runs a four five four. He runs slower <laughs> than Cortland Sutton. Who's who's three four inches taller and and you know a, a well or a lot heavier? Is he a burner? Is he going to take the top off a of defense at four five four at his size? I don't think so. What's your other your trump card is no longer your trump card. What do you bring to the table? Uh, the the big question for him coming into the Senior Bowl was could he separate on in and out breaking routes those sharp angle cuts? He wasn't really able to do it. He could test and catch it really well. I mean through contact he's nice. He's got real strong hands. But if that's the only thing that you're banking on, zero separation and strong hands, cool. You're going to get a six yard in, and you're going to take it for seven yards after you fall forward. And well, that's the thing all you're is, we get. already, as Bills fans, we've already drafted a guy like that. His name is Zay right. Jones. Exactly. So now I got So is there anybody <laughs> else out there that you feel is an egregiously overinflated prospect in this draft? Well, uh, for wide receivers and tight ends, it would be uh, Auden Tate. Who just ran four six nine at the combine, and I know he was going to run in the four sixes. I know he was slow. That wide receiver out of FSU, big dude, young dude. He's six five, two hundred and twenty five pounds. He's a big human being. He cannot run. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin type can't run, and I don't know if he's as good as Kelvin Benjamin was coming out either. I mean, if Kelvin Kelvin at least can bring his weight down a little bit and be a little bit more useful, I guess. I don't know. I'm not I'm not the biggest Kelvin Benjamin fan, as you could probably tell. But <laughs> I think Auden Tate's a lot worse. And I just he's not gonna be able to separate. He's not gonna be able to separate. And wide receivers like that are going the way of the dodo bird. That's just the way it is. If you're gonna be six three, six four, I hope you're running under four six still, because team teams aren't gonna aren't gonna take you high because of that. So I think when it came to the the testing People were looking for that that alpha dog uh, that you can get in the first two rounds. Cortland Sutton separated himself from Auden Tate in a big way, and I, I think people are still gonna, you know, you know how, bro, you know how draft Twitter is. People are that loved Auden Tate are gonna be like, they're gonna dig their heels in, and they're gonna love Auden Tate. And the same thing with James Washington. I just, I don't, I don't see it, man. I don't see it whatsoever. I said the other day, Chris Burke from ESPN was talking about it. Tell me why Auden Tate isn't a first round wide receiver and I jumped in and I said I don't even know if he's a day two wide receiver and I am actually going to pull that tweet up tonight <laughs> uh, tonight and say, well and hey, that's and that's the thing like this age <laughs> people fall in love with these guys and I guess that's what drives me crazy about the pre-draft process is you've got guys who I almost feel like they do it simply because they want to be the first ones to say it and they want to feel Which is so stupid because no one's going to be first exactly and, you're absolutely right. and they want to and no they want to feel first right on about it. you're right I was I was low on Cortland Sutton I was really low on Cortland Sutton coming in I didn't understand the hype I liked him as like a third fourth round guy now I'll take him in the first now I watched the tape <laughs> again things change that's it. it and it wasn't based on the combine I was watching him again before the combine I'm so, not changing my my whole entire evaluation on someone just based on numbers without going back and double checking it. Things change. You need to be able to change with it or you're going to end up wrong more than right, for and sure. this is why I look at guys who do what you do and I, 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 I rail against it even though I love talking to you guys about it. I <laughs> rail against the whole pre-draft A lot of thing them do it wrong. <laughs> because a lot of people are just out there trying to throw everything at the wall and to see what sticks. They want to be known as, hey, I, I said that that guy was going to be good because there's no repercussions if you're wrong. Yeah. There's another question I got. 
yeah. a couple years ago, we beat uh, the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers. We needed that game for our playoff hopes. Okay. And in that game, we had a punt return for a touchdown. Mm. We haven't had one since. Is there <laughs> any receiver in the draft that's got return skills? Dante Pettis from Washington, the guy that, that I said he was going to ex- jump really explosively on his pro day. I think he had eight return touchdowns last year. And there's a there's a guy that I know from uh, breaking football, also from cover one, Brad Kelly, who actually drove to Mobile with, um, and then he stayed in the same hotel block. We drove around together. We drove back to, to Florida so he could catch his flight. He's a wide receiver, uh, wide receiver coach for the South, and he is really high on Dante Pettis. And I, I trust his I trust his opinion a lot. I, I'm not as high as, as on Pettis as him. I don't think the league is as high. I think he's a guy that you can probably get in maybe the late second, early third round. But eight touchdowns return for t- yeah for That's sure. That's it. The kid has uh, yeah. an eye for returning footballs. And right. I'll tell you right now we're missing something on our special teams. I mean we drafted. Yeah. Or we're good at long snapper. <laughs> <laughs> we're good at long snapper, but we've draft outside of that. We've drafted, you know, we tried the running back who could do both, be a scat back and a kick returner. That didn't pan out. Since then, we've tried to just bring in aging veterans to plug in back there. We haven't really addressed the position, but I feel like this is something that the Bills, the way that they've built this wide receiver core, and I guess this is the final question I have for you. Hmm. We're talking about the Buffalo Bills. They have some guys who they've already committed to on contract. They've, they've drafted that they've they've kind of assembled what they want their wide receiver core to be. What I see is a lot of guys who are all tall. You know, you got your two outside guys in Holmes and Benjamin, who are tall, can do the 50-50 ball thing. I mean, I like Equinemius Brown. I am sure I butchered his name. You're in, you like Notre Dame guys. I'll tell you. I think he's a guy who could maybe replace Holmes on the outside, but ultimately mm-hmm. he's already on the staff. When I look at our roster and I say, these are guys that we already have in-house, I guess I'm looking at what else can we bring to the table. We need a speed option. Now, you've given us a lot of names to look at, but the one thing that we haven't addressed is the ability to return kicks. Do you believe that Dante Pettis, in your heart of hearts, if, if the Bills invested a third-round draft pick in him, do you think they're getting production at both the wide receiver position and the kick returner position? Because I feel like that's a little bit too high. If there's anybody behind him besides Pettis, is there anyone else out there who might be able to do it where we have three fifth-round picks? That's... <laughs> I'll take that as a no. I'll take it as a no. <laughs> that, that click of the teeth tells me everything I need to know. So... Essentially, this wide receiver class, if I could wrap this all up just from talking to you over the last you know, half an hour, it seems like we don't have any names that are really jumping out. Even my boy, Kelvin Ridley. You know, I, I've always looked at Kelvin Ridley, and you know what? I always liked our Darius Stewart more than him when I watched Alabama football. Our Darius Stewart's a run blocker. He's got a yeah. hard nose. He'll take a screen pass and break two tackles and get you seven yards. Yeah. Ridley's a guy who needs the ball in space. He needs to be clean. He's not going to hand fight much. He doesn't have the size to bang with bigger cornerbacks. So if he's the number one in the draft class, which I think I saw some tweets earlier where earlier today you were kind of hinting at the fact that Ridley might be wide receiver number one. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, he is my wide receiver one Okay, right now as it stands. So given that, 
when you've got a guy who's small but fast as your wide receiver number one, everything in the middle is a mixed bag. So we have mm. no idea what to expect, but there's traits from each of these guys that you think some of them can be useful and some of them might get overdrafted. I guess the guys that you pointed out to me, I'm going to have to go back and double check on. I urge our fans to do so. Where else can we find your scouting materials so that we can kind of flesh our research out? Uh, InsideThePylon.com is going to have a bunch of pieces on wide receivers out there. Uh, I know uh, Joey, for I'm going to butcher his last name, I swear. Uh, was it Joey Draft? At Joey Draft on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. I don't want to kill his last name. Uh, he's got some great pieces up there. Uh, they've got a lot of pieces from the Senior Bowl all the way tracking through the Combine. Some some highlighted highlighted guys on there that do really, really good work over there at InsideThePylon.com. Uh, I got some stuff on uh, Bleeding Green Nation as well. Uh, a, a name that you brought up, which which I actually think is a good one, Notre Dame wide receiver. And you said it right, to Equinemia St. Brown. Yes. Very nice. Woo! I win, I th- Chris. <laughs> I think uh, I think he can I think he's going to fly up some draft boards uh, he's tall uh, he came in at a good weight and he he's, ran what is he, six really three, well like 205 I want to say I want to say he's over 6'4 I think he came in over 6'4 okay. and yeah he he's only 21 he's got room to grow room to develop it's just the technique with him and, and that's the thing I, uh, unlocking that potential is going to be the big thing, but the, the potential is absolutely there. He's got the athleticism. He's got the physical profile. So someone, someone like that is someone that you definitely want to look into. I mean, he could land in my, in my top five. Everyone is looking, like I said, for that alpha. Uh, and you get out of the, other than that, you're looking for role players because there aren't any potential alphas outside of maybe Equinemius hit Brown outside of Cortland Sutton. And if you're an Auden Tate truther, have fun, uh, <laughs> let that be your alpha dog. But, but yeah, as far as that goes, goes, man, th- those are the names. Those are the, the those are the big names that you really want to focus in on if you're looking for a potential future wide receiver. One, um, I think the outside of that, DJ Chark from LSU is the other exciting one. He has some return value. His vision isn't on the level of Pettis, but he's also got the four, you know, four three eight four three nine speed at six three. Uh, so at the very least. On offense, he's going to give you a vertical threat to start, and you can work the rest out later. Mm-hmm. So th- those are some of the bigger names, more exciting names for me that could potentially turn into something bigger than what they are right now. Fantastic. All right, where are you on a Twitter? At Michael Kist, NFL, that's K-I-S-T. Check us out at BGN underscore radio. I've got a show there with them. It's about three times weekly. We're going to be talking draft all the way up to the draft. Again, that's at Michael Kist, NFL on Twitter, K-I-S-T. Beautiful speaker, as always. I love his work. We get to learn about wide receivers because we can't trust you in your opinion because you're a borderline (laughs) idiot. Borderline? Whoever called me intelligent? Well, you definitely don't look intelligent. Guys, Michael Kist, his show, they're another member of Grandstand Sports Network. Yeah, it's... The movement's growing. We're, we're actually kind of building this platform. It's kind of nice. Anybody out there with a podcast, sports concentrated, doesn't matter what it is, eh, you might have a place here on the network. Yeah. Just reach out to us. Let us know. Grand Sand's in- always looking for other podcasts. Now, as far as his work goes, it's undisputed. The guy works his ass off. Me personally, like I said, tonight I have nothing – to say really about the wide receiver draft class, but I do have something that I want to close the show with. A friend of mine this week, a friend of the show, passed away. 
important person to me, important person to some of the some of my friends, some of my <laughs> people I very much care about. Steve-O, I'm going to leave you with something you left me with. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind forever be at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rains fall softly on your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Cheers. Chris, thank you. <sighs> Guys, Next week, we're going to be talking free agency. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Power Report.